Notice, if you will, please, in chapter number five of the book of Jeremiah, verse number nine. I'll read, I'm going to read three verses, and you'll recognize all three as I read them. Chapter five of the book of Jeremiah, verse number nine. Shall not I visit, shall not I visit for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Notice in chapter number five, verse 29. Shall not I visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? And then go to chapter number nine. And in chapter number nine, look at verse number nine. And he said, shall not I, shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I ask God the Holy Spirit to help me now. God, thank you for blessing the choir. Thank you, God, for your anointing, Brother Joe Barry, and for speaking our heart. And Lord, through the congregation of singing, thank you for this great privilege to stand before this great host of people here in the building and in the radio audience and in the internet audience. And I pray, God, that, Lord, I'd be a spokesman for the Holy God of Heaven this morning. I ask God that you'd speak to my heart how I thank you for our country, for this nation. Thank you for your blessings on this nation. Our Father, we, Lord, don't know how to appreciate God's goodness to us like we ought. Our Father, the material blessings that you've showered upon this nation and God, great natural resources and beautiful, beautiful landscapes and God, for all that you've done for us in the physical realm. But our Father, how you have blessed this nation, our Father, in days gone by, especially in spiritual things. Thank you for giving us great leaders in, in our military uh, and, Lord, in and our, polit- uh, our governmental leaders in days gone by especially. Thank you, our Father, for the anointing of God that's been on the men of God that serve you and preach the gospel across this nation. Our Father, we thank you for that. And, God, I pray, God, the Holy Spirit, God, would move. Our Father, I pray, God, for revival in this hour. I pray, God, you'd move across this nation and that we might be a blessing, our Father, around the world. I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that God, if revival is going to begin somewhere, Lord, I pray it may be right here at this church and among this people. Our Father, I pray, God, the Holy Spirit will move, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've read to you three different verses that repeated the same phrase, such a nation as this. And the Lord said, shall not I avenge myself? on such a nation as this. Basically what he's saying is, because of all the things this nation has done, should I not judge them? You know, several years ago, Dr. B.R. Lakin's in heaven now, and he was a great preacher. I I love to hear Dr. Lakin preach. Had the joy of hearing him several times in person. He had a unique personality, great mind. I mean, he was a tremendous, had a tremendous mind, such great uh, eloquence when he preached. And, but he had, he had a great humor about him. I mean, he'd be preaching wrong and in just that dry humor, next thing you know, he'd, he'd just have you laughing like crazy. But Dr. Lakin used to make a simple statement, uh, and here it is. He said, I wish I knew where I was going to die because if I knew where I was going to die, I wouldn't go there. Isn't that pretty good? If I knew where I was going to die, I wouldn't go there. Now, think about that in connection with the verses I just read to you. If I knew where I was going to die, I wouldn't go there. If, if a nation knew what it would cause 
its collapse, if a nation would know what would cause it to face ruin and destruction, if a nation knew what it would cause, uh, what would cause it to become a, a, a non-power in the world, it'd be better not to go there. If a Christian or, or, or a lost person would know what it was for them not to know Christ and to be in hell for all eternity, then they wouldn't go there. If a believer, a saint of God, a person who's saved, knew what it was for them to backslide and, and not, to, not, not to have the anointing of God or the joy of God or the power of God or, and not to be used of God, if, if they knew what it was going to take for them to get to that place where they'd be unused, to put on the shelf or, or to be a, a reproach to the cause of Christ, best thing for them to do is not go there. Not go there. And so here's, a, here's our Lord admonishing the nation of Israel. And raising this question, should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Now, what kind of nation is that? What kind of nation is it that God says I'm going to judge? Now, if that's true, he's, he's, he's unchanging. He's a God of grace and mercy. There's a great preacher in days gone by who wrote a book called Sodom Had No Bible. And he made a simple, he makes this statement. He said, if God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder what kind of nation it is that God wants to avenge himself on. What kind of people is it that have pushed uh, their, the limits so far that God says, now I'll judge you and not bless you? What kind of nation is that? Well, let's look in the Bible just briefly this morning. And this, we of course, have talked about the nation of Israel. What is it? Turn back to chapter number two. You don't have to go very far in this book before you begin to see what the problem was. Notice what he says in chapter two, verse one. More with the word of the Lord came unto me saying, go and cry unto the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the fruits of his increase and all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon him, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after the things that do not profit. Wherefore I will, plead, will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and see unto Kedar, and consider diligent, and see if there be any such thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not which are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horrified, afraid, uh, horribly afraid. 
Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Here's the problem. Notice the first place. What is the beginning of this downward descent to where God says, should not I avenge myself on such a nation as this? What kind of nation? Here in this particular passage, we see the beginning of their downward tread, their downward descent. It is this. They became spiritually backslid. They became spiritual has-beens. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. It all began in a spiritual man. Now notice this. He doesn't immediately begin to talk about homosexuality. It doesn't begin immediately to talk about adultery or robbery or stealing. It is a spiritual drift that he points out as the problem of their demise and their problems. It is the fact that they have committed two great sins. Number one, they have forsaken the Lord. Number two, they hewn out cisterns. They stopped seeking the Lord. They no longer looked for him and would not look to him and seek him with all their heart. Now, that's a simple thing to do, isn't it? There was a time when you first got saved that you couldn't get enough of church. I remember Kenny Dishman, who used to come and preach here. Brother Johnny knows Kenny. Kenny's in heaven now. But Kenny got saved. Kenny was a drug addict. More than that, he was a drug dealer. More than that, he, he was involved in all types of things. He told me one time, I don't know how much cocaine I've snorted through $100 bills. But God saved old Kenny, great big old boy. And he, his heart was broken. He wept and he trusted the Lord. He eventually began to do a prison ministry and then a pastor. Did, and God used him in a wonderful way. But I remember Kenny telling me that not long after he got saved, just a few weeks after he got saved, he got mad because we didn't have church on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday night. He said he wanted to go to church every time, every time the doors were open. He wanted to go somewhere. He went to every revival he could get to. He read the Word of God incessantly. He stayed around the house of God. He sought God with all his heart. He'd been the other way. He lived full blast for the devil. When he got saved, he lived full blast for the Lord. He couldn't get enough of the Lord. He sought him with all of his heart. He sought God. He said, God, I, I want you to help me so much I don't know about the Bible, so much I don't know about the things of God. I want you to take everything out of my heart, all the hatred, all the bitterness, all the, all the wickedness, take it all out and purge me. And I, he sought him with his whole heart. They were young and tender at one time. Israel was that way. When God brought them out of bondage, they came into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, what a joyous time that was. They couldn't get over the blessings of God and how good God had been to them and how they rejoiced the Lord and how they got up every morning thanking him for their breath and for their life and for the land they lived in and sought him and, and gave him a gratitude all day long and rejoiced in him. And we're not ashamed of his goodness, not ashamed of his blessing. With all their heart, they loved him. With all their heart, they sought him. But they came to the point that they quit doing that. How do you quit doing that? There's a time when you used to be on fire for God. You used to be faithful to everything around the church house. You wanted to go to revivals. You didn't just, just not our revivals, but other revivals. And most of you don't even come to our revivals when we have a revival here now. But you used to want to go everywhere. Get around the house of God. Get around the people of God. Seek the word of God. Read the word of God. And you didn't know a lot about it. And you'd read it. And you wouldn't understand a lot that you read. But somewhere along there'd be one little word, one little phrase. And boy, God bless you so good. And you'd get to praying and he was so real. You felt like he could just touch him. But you drifted from that. That's what happens to a nation. When a nation used to pray together, they used to serve God together. They used to pray around the house together. 
They used to read the Bible together. They, they used to get ready to go to church and they were excited about the things of God. But they began to drift spiritually. They, they quit seeking him and they quit serving him. It's one thing to quit seeking him, but as you begin to quit seeking him, you quit serving him. You quit being faithful to the house of God. You quit tithing. You quit being a witness. You don't do the things that God would have you to do. Now listen, they quit seeking him. They quit serving him. But here's another great statement. Two sins. They began to substitute other things for him. Instead of seeking the Lord, they began to substitute other things. And that nation that began seeking God and depending on God and looking to God began to look to other sources and other people and other situations. In God, we trust. But is that true? Do we really depend on the Lord or do we depend on other people? Do we depend on other things? And people begin to look for the joy they found in the Lord. They begin to substitute other things. They hewn out cisterns. That's the thing that holds water. But he said it's cracked. It won't hold water. It's not going to satisfy. They began to substitute other things for the Lord. Their lives began to fill up. They didn't have time for church because so many other things had taken priority. They couldn't tithe because they had too many bills to pay. They couldn't serve God because their time was preoccupied with other things. Instead of seeking God, they sought the wisdom of the world. They sought the financial institutions of the world. They sought governmental aid and welfare and those type of things. Instead of seeking the Lord and looking to God, they turned their back on the true and living God. And what happens when you quit seeking God? And what happens when you quit serving God? And what happens when you substitute other things for God? Look over in verse number 35 and watch what happens. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn for me. Behold, I will plead with thee because thou hast said, thou sayest, I have not sinned. You see what happens when you get away from God and you quit seeking God and you quit serving God and you start substituting other things. You have a seared conscience and you don't realize where you are. You don't realize how far you've gotten out, how, how, how much trouble you're in. When I was in Valdosta, Georgia, there was a man in my church who on a 14-foot fishing boat had spent five days lost at sea in the Gulf of Mexico. How did it happen? And the flats there where we were at in the Big Bend area of Florida, you could go out when it's pretty on, on any kind of vehicle, on any kind of boat, just a small fishing boat. And they had a 14-foot lunar boat with just a small motor on it. They'd been out trout fishing. And as they continued to fish, it seemed the fish were going out a little further and a little further. And they kept going a little further and a little further. And the next thing you know, they were away from shore. As they were drift fishing, just fishing, 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 they got further and further and further out. And as they got a little further out, they decided they'd go in, get a little closer. When they began to pull the motor, it wouldn't crank. They throwed out the anchor. But guess what? They had drifted so far out, their little short anchor rope wouldn't hold. And then they were just taken out, and a, a cloud came up, pushed them out. They stayed five days lost at sea simply because they were preoccupied with other things, because they were drifting with the tide, and they didn't realize that they were in deep water. And when they decided to use what they thought would rescue them, it wouldn't work. And what happens is people begin to drift away from God. They get away from the Lord and they substitute everything else. But when they get in real trouble, they find out that money is not the answer. They find out that social standing is not the answer. They find out that all their political ties is not the answer. But by then they've got in deep water and deep trouble. 
They've got away from the Lord. He said, they have drifted far from me. Notice what he says in chapter 3 and verse 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's wife, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Watch what he said. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. He says to Israel, he said, though you have drifted so far and though you've got, you've substituted so many other things for me, though you've committed spiritual adultery, he said, come back. If you'll come back, I'll forgive you. And over, over again in this book, he pleads with them. And not only the fact that they have quit seeking him, not only the fact that they have quit uh, serving him, not only that they have substituted other things and they have a seared conscience, but they hear in this passage of scripture, he pleads with them to come back home and to come back to him. Look what the response is in verse number seven. And I said, after she had gone, uh, done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. He said, I pleaded with you. And he said, I pleaded with you. And he said, you would not come back. It's, not, it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to drift. It's a terrible thing to get out of fellowship with God. It's a terrible thing to be backslid on God. It's a terrible thing to substitute other things for God. It's a terrible thing to have a seared conscience. But the greatest tragedy is that when he pleads and begs with you to get right with him, to come back before the judgment falls, before the hard times come, before the difficult days come, before the judgment comes, to refuse to hear what he says. What happens when a people begin to drift and turn their back on God? Turn over to chapter number five. In chapter number five, you'll find this. Run ye, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in the broad places there, thereof. If you can find a man, if there be any that executive judgment, that seek the truth and will pardon. If you'll look through this passage of scripture, you'll find that what he's saying in this next few verses is this. What has happened spiritually at the church house when they forsook the Lord and they turned to other things has now bled over into the community. And he said, you can't find in the community now honesty. You can't find morality. You can't find those things. And so the first step was spiritual backsliding away from God, forsaking the Lord. The second step was moral degeneration. And it all came because of that. It, it invades the priesthood. He says in chapter number three and verse 30 that the priests don't even know me. It invades politics. Look in chapter five and look at verse number 26 and listen to what he says. He said, for among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they become great and waxen rich. They are waxed fat. They shine. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. And they, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall not Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Not only did that nation drift away spiritually, but now they've drifted away morally. There's corruptness in every level of politics, in business, there's corruption. I mean, it, it, it gets to be where it invades the whole community. It all started with a spiritual decline. And now it's, it, 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 it has become a moral degeneration. They have become 
what so many in the priesthood and in the political world, but also in the general population. It all started when they drifted away from the things of God and away from the house of God. What's the result of that? In chapter number five, look at verse number 21. In chapter five, verse 21, back up just a little ways. Hear now this, O foolish people, without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not, fear ye not me. Don't you, aren't, don't you reverence God? Aren't you afraid of the Lord? Saith the Lord, will you not tremble at my presence, which have passed the sands for the bound of the sea by the perpetual degree, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquity has turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. They have become spiritually degenerate. They went away from the Lord. They substitute other things. They quit seeking him. They quit serving him. And then it invaded their society, their politics, and their, their priesthood, and their general population. And that resulted in a loss of God's blessing. God did not bless them any longer. The blessings that God had showered upon them for so many years began to dwindle. And where God had blessed the labor of their hands, it was a foolish thing. They earned wages, the Bible said in the book of Malachi, and they put it in bags with holes in it. The more they earned, it just kept right on going through. And the harder they worked, the less they had. The more it took. And my dear friend, what an awful picture that is of this nation of Israel. Notice what he says in verse chapter number 6 at verse 10. Now they've come to this point. And God sends preachers. He sends prophets to warn them. Verse number 10, to whom shall I speak and give a warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. They got to the place. They drifted so far spiritually. They got so corrupt morally that they absolutely hated the word of God. They didn't want to have it. They didn't want to hear it. While God pleaded with them and begged them to repent and to get right with him, they rejected the word of God. Look at verse number 19 in chapter number 6. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. They didn't want the law of God. Can you imagine a group of people that would not want the simple law of God, thou shalt not steal? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why, I, you know what I bet they did? They probably had a vote and they probably took it off the courthouse walls. They probably took it out of their school systems because they rejected the law of God. Shall not my soul be avenged on such a people, such a nation as this? Well, that's what Israel did. Boy, what a terrible thing. What does that lead to? They rejected the Lord. They rejected the word of God. They become spiritually degenerate, more de degenerate. They've lost the blessings of God. They will not hear the word of God. Look over in chapter number seven. What happens? You look across this nation and there's churches everywhere, all different kinds. Look at television. You'll see massive whole, gener whole gyms filled with people. Notice what he said in verse number nine of chapter number seven. Let me read verse 8. 
Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after your other other gods whom you know not, watch, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Here's what happens to them. They keep a form of religion. They have hypocritical religion. They have singing. They have preaching. They take offerings. They do benevolent deeds. They do great things in the community. But he said they come in before me. They rob. They steal. They commit adultery and all those things. And yet they live a hypocritical life and say we're Christians. Say we believe in the Lord. But because we're Christians, we do anything we want to. Boy, how foolish. Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Look in chapter 7. Look at verse number 27. And he says there, Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive a correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. They won't hear the word of God. What a tragedy. A nation has drifted so far spiritually, become corrupt morally. It's all invaded every area of their society. They reject the word of God. They continue with false religion and false worship and a pretense of religion, but God's nowhere to be found. And they have rejected the warning and the preaching of the man of God. Look in chapter number eight, verse nine. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed or confused. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Their leadership gets to the place where they're just a total confusion all the time. They know there's a problem with the economy. They know there's a problem with their society, but they don't know how to settle any problems because they have forsaken the Lord. They've forsaken the word of God and they're going to try to do it on their own. And now they're in total disarray and total confusion. They have no real authority. Somebody sent me this. I appreciate all the emails. I don't have time to read them all. But I did look at this one the other day about Thomas Jefferson, the author of our Constitution. And as you think about it, when I was growing up in school, all of our founding fathers were highly revered. They were, we recognized them as being great intellects, great moral character, and all those things. Listen to this. Let me read this to you real quick. And it just was fascinating to me, and maybe it will be to you. Thomas Jefferson, the author of our Constitution, at the age of five, he began studying under his cousin's tutor. At nine, he studied Latin, nine years of age. At nine years of age, he studied Latin, Greek, and French. At 14, he studied classic literature and additional languages. At 16, he entered College of William and Mary. At 19, he studied law for five years 
starting, uh, studying under George White. At age 23, he started his own law practice. At the age of 25, he was elected to the Virginia House of Burgess. At 31, he wrote the widely circulated summary view of rights of British Americans and retired from his law practice. At 32, he was a delegate to the Second Continental Congress. At 33, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. At 33, he took three years to revise Virginia's legal code and public education bill and a statute for religious freedom. At 36, he was elected the second governor of Virginia, succeeding Patrick Henry. At the age of 40, he served in Congress for two years. At 41, was America's minister to France and negotiated commercial treaties with European nations along with Ben Franklin and John Adams. At age 46, he served as the first Secretary of State under George Washington. At age 53, he served as Vice President and was elected President of the American Philosophical Society. At age 55, he drafted the Kentucky Resolution and became the which became and became the acting head of the Republican Party. At age 57, he was elected the third president of the United States. At age 60, he obtained the Louisiana Purchase, doubling the nation's size. At age 61, he was elected the second term as president. At age 65, he retired to Monticello. At 80, he helped President Monroe shape the Monroe Doctrine. At 81, almost single-handedly, he created the University of Virginia and served as its first president. At age 83, he died on the 50th anniversary the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson knew because he himself studied in previous failed governments, he understood actual history, the nature of God, and the laws of God and of man. What hap- and that happens to be the way we understand it. Jefferson really knew what was, was real. Listen to what he said. John F. Kennedy had a dinner in the White House with a group of the brightest minds in the nation at one time. And he made this statement. This is perhaps the assembly of the most intelligent ever assembled or gathered in one place in the White House, except or with the exception of when Thomas Jefferson died here alone. What a tribute to Thomas Jefferson. Where are the wise men in our government? Listen to a few of these statements. I thought you might would appreciate them. Thomas Jefferson made this statement. When we get piled upon one another in large cities as in Europe, we shall become as corrupt as Europe. The democracy will cease to exist when we take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not. It is incumbent upon every generation to pay its own way as it goes. A principle which, if acted on, will save one half of the worlds of the world. I predict future happiness for America if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. I read the history convinced my reading of history convinces me that most bad governments result from too much government. No free man shall ever be debarred for the use of his of arms. Strong reasons for the people to retain the right to keep and bear arms is as a last resort to protect themselves from a tyrannical government. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and, and, and tyrants. To compel a man to subsidize with his tax the propagation of ideas which he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. Those are just a few statements, I think, of a wise man. But I wonder how many wise men we have. Here, this society is corrupted. They've lost their wisdom. 
in all of society, and I could read chapter 9, I don't take time to do that, read chapter 9, all of society becomes corrupt. But now what is their hope? Here in all these things that God sees about this nation, and all the things that we've listed this morning that he said about the nation, in chapter number 17, in verse number 5, verse number 7, he says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. Blessed is that man. And he says in chapter number 18 and verse number 8, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I have thought to do unto them. The answer, my dear friend, is given to us in this passage of Scripture. He said, if this people will repent, if they, in spite of all they've done, if they turn back to me, I bless them. That great passage of Scripture, Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. Such a nation as this. Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I don't want to be that kind of nation. And you know what? I believe with all my heart that the, the hope is still there. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Because if you go back it all the way to chapter 2, it started when they forsook the Lord and began to drift. My dear friend, the key to revival in America and the key to this, this nation continuing as a free nation is not in Washington. It's not in our school systems. It's in the church house. It's among God's people. You're to do what you can. He challenges in the book of Philippians, whoa, what a powerful passage of scripture that Joe Barry read to us a while ago. But in the book of Philippians, he said this, that we are to hold forth the light and to shine among a crooked and perverse nation. That's our job. Whatever nation it is and wherever it's at that has degenerated so far, there needs to be a group of people who will seek his face, who desire him with all their heart and seek him. I wonder where you're at spiritually. You see, you measure the, the, the temperature of a nation, the spiritual condition of a nation by individuals, not a corporate body. Because individually we make up this nation. Where are you at spiritually? What are you doing? If the, if the survival of this nation and the possibility of revival depending on you, what would you do? Where would our nation be? I want you to bow your heads for prayer for just a few moments. Musicians are going to come. Brother Brad's going to come. Such a nation as this. Shall not I avenge myself on such a nation as this? Oh, listen. He lays out before them what they've done, where they are. And he pleads with them, turn, return unto me, call upon me and I'll answer thee and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. I wonder when we'll do that. I wonder when we'll get really serious about seeking the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul. I pray God to have mercy on us. Have mercy on America. I hope your purpose in your heart to seek Him. Maybe that you'll want to fast a day or two 
a meal. But begin with all of your heart to seek the Lord, to cry out to God that you personally can be right with Him and that you can shine as a light in, a, in the face of a crooked and perverse nation and that God would have mercy on you and on America and send revival. Let me say to you this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's joy beyond every imagination. He came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. He said, these things have spoken to you that your joy might be full. He wants you to have fullness of joy. Jesus loved you and he died for you. And he said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And if you'll come to him this morning, he'll save you, give you everlasting life. My burden, my heart, my cry this morning is for God's people. Once again, we need wise men, wise women who will seek the Lord. I don't want to be that kind of nation. And yet, you know as I do that we're right there, right there. Where's the answer? The answer is right here in this building this morning. For us with all of our heart to seek the Lord personally, to have personal revival. Ask God to purge us and cleanse us and fill us. And then be obedient to Him. And do what we can to be a witness for Christ in this hour. Now, if you read the rest of the book of Jeremiah, you'll find that God in the latter chapter says this. He makes a promise to the nation of Israel. Though you've gone so far, though I've judged you, and I'll send you into the Assyrians and send you to the Babylonians, I'll bring you back. But in the end time, in the last days, He said, this nation that's pierced me will look to me. And he said, I will put a new heart in them. I'll change them. I'll bless them. The only nation I find that he promises that to is Israel. That he will, in a sovereign act, do that for them. But the cry is to me and you as a nation, as a people, to seek him, to cry out to him, and humble ourselves before him. God's got good things ahead for you. God wants to use you. And praise God, He will. Now, I want to ask you this morning once again, as we are still in this first month of the new year, let the Holy Ghost of God speak to your heart. Where are you at spiritually? Did you see yourself in Israel this morning? Israel was holiness unto the Lord. They became a spiritual has-been. One time you loved him. One time you served him. One time you were on fire for him. Where are you at today?